if you're invested in good EV stocks and it's a really good mm -hmm. time, this consolidation should be a very positive thing for, for you because it's going to take this value that is being fooled by these joke companies and it's going to reconsolidate mm -hmm. that value into the good companies. So that's why I continue to reference Tesla, Rivian, Lucid, Neo, because I think in my mind, those are the four technologically most superior um, EV makers on the planet. And as you know, I truly believe that the best technology wins out in the long run. Um, and mm -hmm. so with those four companies, I think you have the cream of the crop of the EV industry, so to speak. What's up, HGI investors, and welcome back to Hypergrowth Investing. I'm Aaron Davis, and as always, pleased to be joined by investment analyst Luke Lango. Luke, how are we doing today? Uh, doing good, Aaron. Doing good. Always happy to be here with you. Markets are taking a brief pullback after a sizable rally, probably a bear, mar bear market bounce, but I think fundamentals are slowly and gradually improving, so can't wait to talk about that today. Well, looking forward to getting that in just a few moments. If this is your first time joining us, Hypergrowth Investing is the weekly podcast that picks the brain of investment analyst Luke Lango. Each week, we take an in-depth look at emerging tech and investment innovations, electric vehicles, cryptocurrencies, the metaverse, and more. Nothing is off limits. If you're joining us for the first time, we go up every Wednesday on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, Google, wherever you choose to listen to your favorite podcast. So make sure to like and subscribe to get Hypergrowth Investing as soon as as it goes up. Again, I'm Aaron Davis, educator, lifelong learner, and your proxy into the mind. That is the Luke Lango. Luke, ton of things to cover. Let's dive yep. right in. Uh, mm -hmm. Starting off with some new news when it comes to NEO and China's EV policy. Uh, NEO and other EV stocks took a big leg higher last week on some what a lot of people are talking about underreported Chinese news. Um, can you explain to our viewers what this news was and how it impacts the outlook of NEO and other EV stocks? Well, yeah, so there, there are two things that, that uh, the Chinese government did over the past. Uh, I don't know if they both happened last week. They both happened within the past two weeks. Um, one was the Chinese government has got together and said, OK, we understand uh, supply chain issues in this country are a problem. Um, we're going to still continue the fight against COVID, but uh, we need to do something to boost our manufacturing output. So they're considering what Chinese media is reporting as extreme measures to boost manufacturing output, manufacturing growth in the country to stabilize the supply chains, to restore the supply chains. So that's obviously hugely beneficial uh, for uh, electric vehicle stocks broadly, but specifically Chinese electric vehicle stocks like NEO because China is the, the heartbeat of the electric vehicle economy, the global EV economy. That's where essentially, it's not where batteries, battery metals are mined, but it's where battery metals are turned into batteries. 60% mm -hmm. of the world's global battery, EV battery manufacturing happens in China, with a lot of that being the cathode manufacturing. And cathode is the most mission critical part of, of the battery, or some would argue mm -hmm. is the most mission critical part of the battery. So um, as goes China's supply chains, China's manufacturing output, so goes the electric vehicle industry. Because something we have to realize about the EV industry is that the demand is not the question mark. Demand is mm -hmm. going to be there. People want EVs. Every car mm -hmm. that Tesla makes, Rivian makes, Lucid makes, Neo makes, those companies are going to be able to sell. For every car they make, there's going to be a buyer. No doubt about that. Demand's not a question. The question is how many cars can they make, right? So 
that is now a function of Chinese supply chains. If Chinese supply chains improve, manufacturing output goes up, then all of a sudden the number of cars these EV makers are able to make is going to go up, meaning that their mm -hmm. revenues are going to go up. They're going to more quickly benefit from economies of scale, more quickly achieve profitability, or in Tesla's case, achieve bigger profitability. And that's going to allow for higher stock prices. So this is a very important piece of the electric vehicle puzzle. And it's a very positive development for EV stocks that China is considering that. Now, the second thing that happened is the Chinese government is going to extend tax breaks for uh, first-time EV buyers. So those tax breaks are going to phase out at the end of 2022. But given just the, the choppiness of the Chinese economy, the COVID-19 lockdowns, the supply, chain issues, the supply chain issues we just talked about, they're considering extending that into 2023, or they are extending that mm -hmm. into 2023 and maybe even beyond. So that, of course, you know, you add more tax rates into the mix, that should continue to juice sales into 2023. So that's a demand driver for electric vehicles. So with demand drivers on the way up, supply drivers on the way up, I think the, the, the bull thesis for electric vehicle stocks is significantly strengthening, and especially so for Chinese EV stocks, uh, mm -hmm. Neo of which is, is our favorite, obviously. So these policies are, are all about accelerating EV production and adoption. Um, and Neo, like you said, took that jump. And is that, that kind of like for this specific case, is that that rising tide that's lifting all EV stocks right now? Uh, well, yeah. So there's two, two things mentioned there. One is that um, China is very clearly trying to they already are the dominant country in terms of electric vehicle uh, adoption, the electric vehicle industry. Not only do mm -hmm. they control 60% of the world's battery manufacturing uh, processes, but these the adoption of electric vehicles in China is far ahead of where it is in the United States, for example. Mm -hmm. And because China's auto market is so large, about 30 million new cars are sold there every year. Globally, it's about 80 million. So we're talking more than one third of all new car sales in the world are from in China. Um, higher EV penetration on a larger base, of course, means significantly more EV unit sales. So China is the largest EV market and the government wants to keep things that way. They want to continue mm. to accelerate the adoption of EVs throughout the country. They want to continue to promote China as the place where EV batteries are made because that means that not only do they win when Chinese electric vehicles sell, but they also win when American electric vehicles sell, when European electric vehicles sell, because those electric vehicles are sourcing their batteries from China. So China is really trying to establish its foothold, its dominance in this industry. And that's become very clear with these recent policy changes. Um, the second point is that because of the um, dependence on Chinese supply chains for the manufacturing of electric vehicle batteries, these policy shifts are not just good for NEO stock, they are a rising tide. They do, mm -hmm. Rivian gets batteries from China, Tesla gets batteries from China, mm -hmm. Lucid gets batteries from China. So as the Chinese supply chains improve, battery output increases, that's gonna help all those companies increase their output as well, increase their sales, increase their stock prices. So yes, it is a rising tide, lift all boats, but it's a very rational and logical rising tide, lift all boats dynamic that I think persists for the foreseeable future. Do you see, when we talk about EVs uh, on this podcast, we you know mainly stick to the main three. We, st we talk about Tesla, we talk about Rivian, uh, we talk about Lucid, and you know we have talked a lot about Neo in the past because of a lot of the uh, things that are going on when it comes to the 
COVID-related China supply chain issues, the manufacturing yep. issues. Do you see a difference based on what you're talking about, based on what I'm hearing? It sounds like, again, the the China EV enterprise is a lot bigger than the U.S., but we've been focusing a lot on the U.S. Is there a difference between the fundamentals in these two, or is it just EVs as a whole is a great sector to be in right now? Um, EVs is a sector, uh, you know, great place to be right now. I definitely believe that. I, the, the thing with the electric vehicle sector is you have to be aware of industry consolidation, not based on geography, but just based on the quality of the company. That mm-hmm. uh, back when the auto was first invented, they get the gas-powered car. Um, you know, there was something like 340, 350 companies that came to market thinking they were going to make the best car. Uh, and only like three or four ended up surviving, Ford, GM, a couple others. So um, th- that was an industry that underwent massive consolidation. The electric vehicle industry will likely undergo similarly massive consolidation, wherein we have, you know, every Tom, Larry, and Sam wants to go out and make an electric vehicle car company these days, or they did in 2020, 2021. And as a result, we got this excessive proliferation of EV startups, EV makers, battery companies, EV charging companies, you know, the whole supply chain got flooded with um, too many companies. And so now Mm -hmm. we're going to get this consolidation. We've already seen a couple bankruptcies. Electric Last Mile, they were an electric trucking company, I believe. They declare bankruptcy. So I think we're going to get this wave of bankruptcies that's going to wipe out basically the Joe companies in this industry. But what that's mm-hmm. going to do is going to consolidate value around the high quality companies. And it's actually going to be a benefit for the good EV stock. So if you're invested in good EV stocks and it's a really mm-hmm. good time, this consolidation should be a very positive thing for, for you because it's going to take this value that is being fooled by these joke companies and it's going to reconsolidate mm-hmm. that value into the good companies. So that's why I continue to reference Tesla, Rivian, Lucid, Neo, because I think in my mind, those are the four technologically most superior um, EV makers on the planet. And as you know, I truly believe that the best technology wins out in the long run. Um, and mm-hmm. so with those four companies, I think you have the cream of the crop of the EV industry, so to speak. It's not to say there aren't great options elsewhere. There are, Mm -hmm. we actually like a lot of stocks beyond those, but those are the four that I'm most comfortable saying, hey, if you're gonna get in the EV sector, dabble with those four. And specifically dabble with the three American ones because (laughs) Neo, while I love it, the China risk there is just, uh, it's a wild card and only Mm -hmm. for risk uh, seeking investors, I would say. Gotcha. Well, speaking to technology and EVs, I want to move on to its close cousin, uh, AVs, autonomous vehicles. Uh, you recently yeah, sure. shared a cool TikTok video around the office. I got it. I took a look at it. Um, a guy, he's oh, yeah. filming his uh, driverless taxi trip in, in a Waymo van. I, I'm not sure if we've talked. We've talked about AVs a little bit before. I don't know if we've talked yep. about Waymo specifically, um, but yep. how is this industry progressing? And again, uh is it, is it cameras? Is it LiDAR? What's the best way to invest when it comes to autonomous vehicles moving forward? Yeah, so point one, I, the future. Yeah, so point one, Aaron, um, I love TikTok. Let's just get that out of the way right now. Uh, <laughs> I know there's a lot of people out there that don't like TikTok. They, they, they don't like the Chinese ties. They don't like uh, the content on it. Sure, but I find mm-hmm. some really inter- – my feed is a bunch of tech stuff. And a bunch mm-hmm. of motivational quotes. I'm a sucker for motivational quotes. Um, and I, I I love my TikTok feed. So anyways, yes, over the weekend, mm. my TikTok feed, I, I found a video of this man who was filming himself. Um, I believe it was in Phoenix, Arizona. 
getting into a completely driverless uh, Waymo taxi, basically. Mm -hmm. uh, got in the back. The door opened. He got in the back. There was no mm -hmm. driver in the front, nobody in the passenger seat. He was the only person in the car. The door automatically closed, and he clicked a button on the screen, which was attached to the back of the passenger seat, that said mm -hmm. start ride. Click start ride. The car started talking, saying, welcome to your, your, your car trip. Hope you enjoy it. Um, we're going to take mm -hmm. you to – he was going to some, some bar, I believe, or some grill. I don't know, some bar and grill mm -hmm. place. And he just showed himself in this car, turned turned the, the camera around with the phone and showed the the wheel turning and turning mm -hmm. and then getting into traffic and doing a lane change. <laughs> and, and he arrived at his at his bar and grill location. He didn't film the whole mm -hmm. thing, obviously, but he filmed the first um, you know, thirty seconds to a minute of it. And it was just fascinating to me to watch it because I, I too have been in, in a self-driving car like that. And it is a exhilarating experience. And it, mm -hmm. when you're actually doing it, you truly understand that, wow, we're right there. Like mm -hmm. we are inches. If, if we're talking about this is a football field, we're on the five-yard line. Like we are mm -hmm. almost at the end zone with self-driving cars being able to be used in wide-scale applications across the world. Um, and so mm -hmm. that, that's the really exciting thing. So that was the cool part about mm -hmm. that video. Um, I'm sorry. I got sidetracked in all of that talking about how cool that video was and why. Well, no, that. It, it, was, it was a cool What was the question? Uh, it, uh, so, again, uh, can you talk about, you know, what, what is the future for, for autonomous vehicles? Is it LiDAR? Okay. Is it, you know, camera? And if, if so, you know, you're talking about how we're five, five inches from the goal line right now. Uh, for it to be used. But again, I know that we've talked about this in the past. There's a difference between use and deployment. Do we have like a timeline for when all this amazing technology is going to reach us, the consumer? A few points. One, this technology is already being used in a lot of places. We have driverless taxis, completely driverless taxis in Phoenix. I believe there are some in Texas. Uh, there are some in San Francisco as well. Um, we mm -hmm. have completely autonomous trucks that are actually driving on roads, on highways, shipping freight from point A to point B, doing real-world mm -hmm. value-additive stuff. That's actually happening. We have Domino's delivering pizza in Houston and I believe in other cities using autonomous cars. So they basically, mm -hmm. you know, you order a pizza, somebody makes it in the in uh, the shop, and they just load this autonomous car with a bunch of pizzas in this autonomous car. It's a tiny <laughs> little thing. Drives yeah. around the city and just delivers all those pizzas. When it gets to your door, you come out, you get a notification on your phone, you come outside, you get your pizza, and you go back in. So um, we are seeing applications of it actually happen like you go talk about you know is the technology mm -hmm. ready and we're ready to deploy it it's being mm -hmm. deployed actively today so that mm -hmm. is happening uh point two talk about what is the future of it well there's the commercial future and the technology future so let's talk about the commercial future first the first wave of commercial applications of autonomous vehicle technology will likely be in trucking because mm -hmm. you have to understand that if you make an error in AV technology, if a self-driving car makes an error, the software makes an error, one of the sensors makes an error, um, that error could result in the loss of whatever the car is carrying. 
So mm-hmm. if the car is carrying a person, we're talking either serious injury or, or potential loss of life. Huge mm-hmm. downside. Yeah. If the car is carrying pizzas, we're talking about losing a $5 pepperoni pizza, a $10 <laughs> pepperoni pizza, maybe mm-hmm. a $20 pepperoni pizza with inflation these days. Um, so um, not a massive downside risk. So that's mm-hmm. why the first commercial application of autonomous vehicle technology is going to be in the transportation of goods and not people. Where is mm-hmm. that most um, – uh, obvious, it is in autonomous trucking. And you're seeing mm-hmm. companies like Too Simple, like Waymo, like Aurora, really get into this autonomous trucking game and start to, they're driving autonomous trucks on real roads, delivering real freight. So we think that is going to be the first commercial application of autonomous vehicle technology. You're going to see autonomous trucks everywhere before you see autonomous cars everywhere. The next okay. wave, once that's proven, once it's proven that we can safely, reliably, and cost efficiently transport goods mm-hmm. using self-driving cars then we're going to enter the next era where we're going to start using those self-driving cars to transport people and that's probably going to be in the form of ride sharing services like what you're seeing from waymo in san francisco like what you're seeing from waymo in phoenix like what you're seeing from waymo in certain mm-hmm. texas cities we're going to start seeing that happen um that's going to probably be niche at first and then it's going to grow mm-hmm. and grow and grow and grow and grow until eventually All Uber rides will be autonomous. All Lyft rides will be autonomous. And that will be the Mm -hmm. next wave of self-driving commercialization. Thereafter, you're going to start getting self-driving cars in your your own garage. Um, Mm -hmm. You're going to start seeing the Volvos, the Fords, the Volkswagens, the Lucids, the Teslas of the world have full self-driving cars and not full self-driving mm-hmm. in the sense that tesla says it's full self-driving but it's not really full self-driving it's a joke we're talking mm-hmm. full self-driving hands off eyes off cars where um they're gonna be parked in your own garage so mm-hmm. that's gonna be the kind of final wave of self-driving commercialization so through these three waves transportation of goods transportation of people personal ownership um mm-hmm. that probably takes course over yeah, it probably takes place over the course of 10, 15 years. And I believe that the adoption curve of self-driving cars is going to be significantly faster than what probably anybody is expecting these days. Mm-hmm. Mostly because people are going to be blown away by how reliable, how safe, and mm-hmm. how freaking cool this stuff is. So I think you're going to get a real hockey stick-like chart um, in terms of adoption rates of this stuff. And what, what is the technology that's fueling AVs? Uh, is it cameras? Right. Is it LiDAR? Is it a combination of both? Right. So there, yeah. So there, there's the technology side of it. So the technology side of it works like this. Um, in order to get a self-driving car to work, you need mm-hmm. to give that car a human-like ability to see or mm-hmm. sense its surroundings. And mm-hmm. we do that by throwing a bunch of sensors on the car. Now, we have to throw all different types You don't have to, but the Mm -hmm. best approach is to throw a bunch of different types of sensors on the car Mm -hmm. because different types of sensors are good at optimizing different kinds of things. Radar is really good at long range detection. Mm -hmm. LIDAR is really good at short range detection. Camera Mm -hmm. is really good for colors. So Mm -hmm. if you use a combination of all three, you're going to give the car a human-like ability to see. There are some out Mm -hmm. there that believe in vision-only autonomy. If a human can Mm -hmm. see with two eyes, so can the car. So they're trying Mm -hmm. to use just cameras. That might be a more cost-efficient solution. I mean, well, the human can also hear the car coming up or the horn behind you. It's not just – Well, also, the human eye – 
the no, human eye is a fantastic. Yeah, the, the human eye is a fantastic camera. That, that's the technical challenge there is yeah. that the mm-hmm. human eye, if it were a camera, would be like a 500, 600 megapixel camera. Mm-hmm. Uh, the cameras that Tesla is using that other cars are trying to use are like three, four megapixels. So mm-hmm. to rival the, the eye capabilities of the human eye, you're going to have to throw on hundreds of cameras that all of a sudden mm-hmm. becomes not cost efficient very bulky where are you going to put those cameras so vision only autonomy seems to have shortcomings i don't believe in it i believe in full stack autonomy full stack mm-hmm. autonomy is okay let's put a radar on there for long range stuff let's put a lidar sure. on there for short range stuff and let's put a camera mm-hmm. on there for color so that's your sensor suite the self-driving mm-hmm. car of the future is going to have radar it's going to have lidar it's going to have cameras probably mm-hmm. one radar probably two to four LIDAR, probably two to four cameras, and there's your sensor suite. Now, what those sensors do is they're going to gather information about the world, the surroundings of the car. They're gonna Mm -hmm. turn that information into data. That data is then going to go into a sensor fusion technology platform that's going to take all that data, synthesize it, and transmit Mm -hmm. it to a software brain, to some algorithm. Uh, A lot of times that is going to be in the car itself. And so it's going to be processed in the car itself, that software brain. That data is going to be digested. It's going to be analyzed. And then it's going to be used to create a decision for the car. So sensors sense data. Sensor fusion synthesizes it, transmits it. Software brain digests it, analyzes it, and produces a decision for the car. Turn right, turn left, lane change, brake, la di la di do. All this Mm -hmm. happens in fractions of a second, in milliseconds, and boom, that's your self-driving car. So that's the sort of technology backbone of what's going on in autonomous vehicles. What Mm -hmm. is the probably most valuable component of this whole stack? Well, there's Mm -hmm. a few really valuable components. Cameras, not so much, pretty commoditized. Radar, Mm -hmm. not so much, pretty commoditized. LiDAR, Mm -hmm. there's a real Mm -hmm. big differentiator in LiDAR technology. LiDAR is very difficult, it's very expensive, and it's the most important sensor in the stack. So mm-hmm. whoever makes the best LiDAR is gonna make a lot of money. So you wanna invest in the, in the AV revolution, invest in top quality LiDAR makers, that's one of the best ways. Moving down, sensor fusion. Very difficult to do, but a lot of a lot of companies are in-housing it, so I'm not sure they're really good, like pure play sensor fusion um, tech companies mm-hmm. out there. Moving down, the software, that's really valuable. And that's where the full stack companies come in. That's where Aurora comes in. That's where Mm -hmm. Waymo comes in. They're developing full stack where the real kind of special, the secret sauce, the ninja skill happens in that software. So another Mm -hmm. place to invest is the companies making really, really good software stacks. So Mm -hmm. that's that's the other place. And then you get this to the the decision, the, 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 the production of a decision for the car. Yeah, obviously there's not much investable there. So when we talk about the AV technology stack, the two best places to invest are in the LiDAR maker and Mm -hmm. in the software developer. Those two are your best investment options. Between those two, I think you're going to score the biggest returns in the self-driving revolution. So when when it comes to... We, we've talked about how we're going to have it's probably going to start in uh, shipping first, how it's going to be probably a little bit of a while before we see it on, uh, you, you know, you and I's cars in our garages. Um, but eventually, when it yeah. does get to that point, are we going to see the car manufacturers developing this technology in house or again, taking from, uh, you know, the LiDAR companies and the software companies and implementing that into their already existing fleets? Yeah, uh, this is really complex technology. 
Mm -hmm. uh, arguably some of the most complex technology on the planet. <laughs> um, and only really smart people can master this technology. And the room for error, again, has to be very close to zero. Yeah. Because if there is mm -hmm. error, you're talking about potential loss of life. We talked about this. Mm -hmm. So you need really smart people to do really good work to make this happen. Mm -hmm. Ford's just not attracting the talent to do that. Mm -hmm. um, Volkswagen's just not attracting the talent to do that. Volvo's just not attracting the talent to that. Mercedes is not attracting the talent to do that. They're attracting talent to do other things fabulously, but not self-driving mm -hmm. fabulously. Aurora is attracting the talent to do that. Too Simple is attracting the talent to do that. Waymo is attracting the talent to do that. Mm -hmm. Luminar is attracting the talent to do that. So between these companies, I think that they are developing highly specialized technology that will not be easily replicated and likely will never be replicated by automakers or by anybody else. Mm -hmm. And therefore is a huge competitive mode around. There is a huge competitive mode around that technology. So no, I think in the future, it's fast forward 2030, 2035, you're going to have mm -hmm. the car maker. You're going to have the, the um, hardware provider in terms of like mm -hmm. lidar radar cameras you're going to have the software developer and that those three together are going to create a self-driving car it's not going to be self-driving car brought to you by ford and only ford self-driving car mm -hmm. brought to you by ford waymo and luminar self-driving gotcha. car brought to you by lucid so even with like lucid lucid's developing their own software but um they're using lidar from other companies right so they're mm -hmm. also sourcing it so it, it, it's a collaborative effort this industry is a collaboration and mm -hmm. I don't think that's going to stop anytime soon. It's not going to be a one wins this whole thing. Many are going to win. Well, hopefully uh, in 2030, I'll be able to afford one. Uh, hopefully inflation, as we see it right now, goes down a little bit so that I can afford one, uh, which leads us into our market check-in. Um, in day yeah. two of uh, his congressional testimony last week, uh, Powell increased his hawkishness, uh, saying that his fight against inflation is unconditional. Um, you know, despite the Fed's unquestioned commitment to fighting inflation and uh, all the rate hikes that might require, um, one of the things that we're seeing is that long-term yields aren't rising as much as you expect. Um, can you explain what's going on here? Uh, yes. So what we're seeing in the markets is this tug-of-war between inflation and recession, inflation, mm -hmm. recession, inflation, recession, where there were a, there was a lot of excess built up because of the stimulus uh, from the pandemic coupled with the supply chain issues brought on by the pandemic. And mm -hmm. that created runaway inflation problems. And that's what we had in the first half of 2022. We started in 2021. Nobody really saw a recession coming as a result of that until more recently. And now people are starting to see a recession coming as a result of that. Now, what recessions do, though, is they kill inflation. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like, should we be worried about a recession or should we be worried about an inflation? 
Because the mm. recession is going to kill inflation and eliminate that concern, but it's a recession. Meanwhile, mm. inflation, we might not necessarily have a recession, but we have inflation. So mm-hmm. we're in this like tug of war between recession and inflation. And it is my opinion that the best path forward is a recession, that we mm-hmm. need to have that short, shallow, quick recession that wipes out the inflation excesses of the of 2020 2021 allows us to develop a clean slate upon which we can build a new bull market and a better economic expansion era because mm-hmm. the reality is is that embedded inflation is a much worse problem than a recession recessions mm-hmm. are just part of the capitalism cycle boom bust mm-hmm. boom that that happens okay we we have expansions we have busts we have expansions we have busts recessions are just part of the cycle we can get through that what's not part of the cycle is embedded inflation over the past 50 years we have not had embedded inflation the last time we had embedded inflation was in the 1970s it lasted about a decade and it was a, it was a terrible decade. The stock mm-hmm. market went nowhere. The economy was floundering. It was a really, really awful decade. The consumer really struggled. The 70s, economically speaking, were a very rough decade. And that was because of embedded inflation. So we do mm-hmm. not want embedded inflation. If we have to choose between a rock and a hard place, a rock is a recession and a hard place is uh, inflation, we want mm-hmm. the rock. We want mm-hmm. a recession. Give us the recession. Kill the embedded inflation. Get a mm-hmm. new clean slate with sub 2% inflation, get rates back down, and boom, start a new sustainable, durable economic expansion. Because the one we started after 2020 was not durable. It was fueled by a bunch of stimulus money. It was fueled by a bunch of excesses. And now all that, we're having a payback for that. Let's pay it back, rip the Band-Aid off, and start fresh, start anew. So that's mm-hmm. why long-term yields aren't collapsing in a way they might because there's still that kind of – inflation fear out there but Mm -hmm. i believe that the recession fears are going to ultimately overtake that and soon enough that the bond market's going to recover and you're going to Mm -hmm. see yields collapse back below three percent back towards Mm -hmm. a lower two percent range i think that's where we finish the year as recession fears overtake inflation fears uh one of the other interesting things that i think we're starting or seeing or starting to see uh with regards to inflation and uh it comes from a michael burry tweet um, I want to read it real quick. Uh, bullwhip effect, disinflation, uh, retailer inventory builds. Uh, and then he linked to an article from CNN saying that retailers are paying me more to keep items I want to return, LOL. Uh, what's, what's, can you, I, I know it sounds like there's a lot of just random thoughts going into that, but I think you can kind of explain this a little bit better than this tweet can. Uh, what's going on here? Um, okay, so yeah, Michael Burry sends out very cryptic tweets, which he then subsequently deletes, so you only have a very uh, brief moment of time <laughs> to read them. Uh, love the strategy, man. Love the strategy. Uh, but what he's saying here is, and it's something we talked about on this podcast several weeks ago, okay. which is that inventories at retailers are massively building right now. Mm-hmm. Massively yep. building. And demand now is massively slowing. Consumer mm-hmm. sentiment is at an all-time low. Consumer confidence is at an all-time low. Consumer spending is starting to dry up. People's savings rates are way down. We're, we're uh, consumer credits way up. So we're kind of running on borrowed time here. The mm-hmm. economic demand, the consumer spending is significantly slowing. These inventories are really large. That's going to lead to massive clearing of those inventories. Uh, mm-hmm. Walmart, Target, 
uh, Urban Outfitters, Gap, American Eagle, Best Buy. These are all companies that over the past few weeks have said, we have too much inventory. We need to clear it. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, this is something called the bullwhip effect. And that's what Burry's referencing in his tweet. The bullwhip mm-hmm. effect is like so. It, it comes from the physics phenomenon that when you're when you're whipping, if you're you're a bull whipper and you got the whip, <laughs> the hand moves six inches, right? Okay. Yep. But the whip goes six feet down, and the mm-hmm. whip on the tail end is now moving mm-hmm. what ten feet up and down. So mm-hmm. a six inch movement here creates a ten foot movement there. That's okay. the bullwhip effect in physics. Now, in, in economic terms, in terms of the supply chain management, the, the movement of the hand is the retailer saying, okay, mm-hmm. we need more of this product or more of that product. It's Walmart saying we need more toilet paper. It's Target saying we need more outdoor furniture. It's Best Buy saying we need more Apple watches, whatever it may be. So sure. they move their hand six inches on a demand forecast. Then it mm-hmm. goes down to the distributor, the wholesale, wholesaler, the supplier, so on and so forth. So this mm-hmm. company orders more, that company orders more, that company orders more. So by the time you get to the beginning of the supply chain, all the way mm-hmm. to the person actually making the raw products, demand, they are being told demand's up, and all of a sudden they're way up. They're producing way more of that raw product to make this mm-hmm. final good. The more Target says demand's increasing, the more the bullwhip effect gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. So what that creates then is this massive inventory build, which is Mm -hmm. fine so long as demand is right. But when this Mm -hmm. demand forecast is off, which it has Mm -hmm. been at Walmart, Target, Best Buy, American Eagle, Gap, la-di-da, la-di-do, at every retailer in America, every retailer across the globe, when that demand Mm -hmm. forecast is off, you're left with a huge supply glut. Not a supply Mm -hmm. shortage, but a supply glut. Gluts mm-hmm. need to get cleared. And it's okay. really hard to clear gluts when economic demand is spiraling lower in the way it's spiraling lower now. So the result okay. is going to be massive disinflation over the next several months. That's what mm-hmm. Burry's referring to in his tweet. I think that's exactly what you're going to get. Because mm-hmm. let's, let's paint this picture here. You have massive inventory builds right now. Walmart's got too much product. Target's got too much product. Best Buy has too Mm -hmm. much product. Amazon has too much product. They're all saying, we need to move it. We're going to clear it. We need to clear it so badly that if you want to return a product, you can't return it. We'll give you the money, but you got to keep it. Okay. That's how bad their inventory situation is. So we got that going on. Then we got a consumer (laughs) who's paying six six bucks at the pump, okay? Who's also – their grocery bills way up. Their utility Uh, bills way up. Their water bills way up. So the things they need are – you know, they're paying way more for. So their discretionary budgets are going down. Meanwhile, Mm -hmm. there is a segment of the population that's just getting fired right now. They're being Mm -hmm. layoffs at all those crypto startups. A lot of uh, tech startups are having layoffs. A lot of big tech firms are having layoffs. Elsewhere, big tech firms are pausing hiring, slowing hiring. Uh, Mortgage bankers are being let go of JP Morgan. Compass has layoffs. Redfin has layoffs. Um, So you're seeing a lot of job cuts coming. So there's a whole portion of the population that's getting fired. Then there's a whole portion of the population, which is a way larger portion of the population, way more significant portion of the population that's worried about getting fired because they mm-hmm. read about those layoffs. They maybe see their buddy down the street getting fired or their coworker getting fired. 
Now all of a sudden they're worried about their job. So all of a sudden they're going to start saving more. They're going to start mm-hmm. spending less. So this discretionary budget that's already being cut by inflation on core items is now going to get cut more by a consumer who is now fearful of a recession, fearful of job security. Mm-hmm. And so they're going to start spending way, way less. So you got a huge inventory glut with a consumer that's going to spend way less with the Fed that has said multiple times, we're committed to fighting inflation. We're going to bring inflation down. That means rates are going to go up. So mm-hmm. your the cost of money, the cost to borrow money and spend stuff is going to go way mm-hmm. up. So you're not going to borrow money anymore. So now mm-hmm. you're left with the cash you have in your savings account or your checkings account. When you add all that up, Aaron, it really mm-hmm. almost seems inevitable that we are not just walking or tiptoeing but sprinting headfirst mm-hmm. into a massive disinflationary period. Where in there's going to be over the past 12 months, we've had far too many dollars chasing far too few goods. Mm-hmm. Now I think we're going to have far too little dollars chasing far too many goods. We're almost mm-hmm. going to do a 180 here. And that 180 means we're going to go from inflation to disinflation. Yields are going to break down lower and the economy is going to essentially grind to a halt if not already if not if not go negative which a lot of people are saying is already the case kathy wood just came out i believe it was this week and said that we're in a recession i know a lot of smart fund managers in my circle that are saying we are already in a recession i know a lot of smart mm-hmm. commentators are saying we're already in a recession so mm-hmm. maybe grind to a halt even being conservative maybe we're going to go go negative um that's what's happening right now and I okay. think everything else in terms of inflation fears, yields going higher, why aren't they breaking down is kind of noise. I think the breakdown in yields is almost inevitable. I think the breakdown in the economy is almost inevitable. I think we're heading towards a situation wherein we get disinflation and massive economic demand destruction. Now, to be clear, I think that's really good. I mm-hmm. think it's, it's for the long-term health of the global economy, we need it. Because we were running on borrowed time. We were running on uh, borrowed money, essentially. And Mm -hmm. we needed to wipe it out. And so we are wiping it out. It looks like we're going to wipe it out fully. And if we do, that means we're going to be able to, come 2023, build a new bull market that, as opposed to lasting for all of two years, whoopee, is going to last 10 years, 12 years, 14 14 years, something like we saw from 2009 to 2020, early 2020. Mm -hmm. You know, that was an 11-year bull market that was very vigorous. I think we're going to create something like that starting in 2023, but we got to get the wipeout first. Mm -hmm. And it looks like that's going to happen. And that, in a nutshell, a very long (laughs) nutshell, is what the Burry tweet is all about. Gotcha. Um, we also have uh, the PCE print coming out on Thursday. Um, oh. You know, you just said that a lot of smart people are saying that we're already in a recession. Is are these numbers going to reinforce that? Or I, I'm is- very no, yeah, I'm very confident that inflation numbers are going to head meaningfully lower over the next few months. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, when you when you look at look at the commodity markets, we're in a bear market across all commodities, basically copper. Bear market, a lot, all the metals, bear market, wheat, bear mm. market, all the foods, bear market. So we've seen commodities completely roll over. So commodity price inflation is way down. We know we have these massive inventory clearing sales coming from Target and Walmart and la la do We know mm. the consumer's not spending money because they're scared to death. We know there are massive layoffs in the pipeline. So I think that you would have to ignore 
a mountain of economic evidence to say that inflation <laughs> is going to accelerate. Instead, we're okay. going to get disinflation. The inflation rate is going to come down meaningfully in July, August, mm -hmm. September, and that's going to set the Fed up for a pivot in monetary policy in the back half of the year. Now, in terms of stocks, what does that mean? Well, that's the tricky question because I, I, see, I see three outcomes here. <laughs> Outcome one. The bear case, extremely unlikely in my opinion, less than 5% likelihood of happening, maybe less than 2%. Uh, outcome one, stagflation. Everything I just said is completely wrong. And inflation stays hotter than anyone expected. Oil prices rise to 200. Wheat bounces back. Everything comes roaring back in terms of inflation. This demand destruction I'm talking about doesn't, doesn't materialize, and the Fed keeps hiking rates, yet inflation doesn't go down. So we get a recession with enhanced inflation. That's a stagflation outcome. That's the 1970s. In that situation, the stock market drops 30 40% from here, and growth mm -hmm. stocks get crushed. Okay. That's outcome one. I think that is extremely mm -hmm. unlikely to happen, but we have to put it into our valuation calculus because it is a possibility. Albeit mm -hmm. small, it is a possibility. Sure. Outcome two, base case, my most likely outcome. We get mm -hmm. demand destruction, which leads mm -hmm. us into a recession, but that recession causes inflation to go back below 2%. The Fed is a little late to respond to that. So by the second half of the year, they don't pivot until maybe later into the year, November or December. Once they mm -hmm. pivot, then stocks rebound on faith that the economy is going to get back on sure footing and we're going to enter a new bull market. So in that scenario, my most likely outcome, base case, we see another couple months of weakness in the markets before mm -hmm. bottoming out and starting a new bull market in the fourth quarter of 2022, going into 2023, 24, 25, 26, 27, so on and so forth. That's my base mm -hmm. case. The bull case, which I view as unlikely, but much more likely than the, than the bear case, is mm -hmm. we get this demand destruction without a recession. People are just fearful. And so inflation mm -hmm. gets killed. The Fed reacts to that early. They pivot by September, and the markets are kind of already bottoming right now and will V-shape rebound into the back half mm -hmm. of the year. Those are the three outcomes here. I think 98% chance we fall into the base of the bull, 2% chance we fall into the bear. As a result of that, my valuation calculus says buy stocks. Get long. You may not be at the bottom, but it makes no sense to only buy at the bottom. Buy on the way down, dollar cost average into it, and you're going to mm -hmm. give yourself a great cost basis to benefit from the next bull market, the next 10 years of gains that are coming uh, in the pipeline. So that's my outlook for stocks. That's how I'm looking at the markets from a macro outlook right now. Well, I love how the macro outlook looks for because that bear scenario is only 2% in your opinion. Uh, but going into uh, the market of crypto, it doesn't seem like too much has changed in the last week. Oh. Uh, we're still holding around 20,000. Um, mm -hmm. I know you've been preaching patience. And again, patience is just so hard when we, we see these fluctuations on a daily basis. Um, but that's still the strategy, right? Same story as last week, Aaron. I, and mm -hmm. I, I've been saying this is going to take months to play out. There's yeah. not money to be made in cryptos right now, in my opinion. I mean, mm -hmm. there's money to be made in, from a trader perspective. You know, okay. buy it on dips, sell it on ribs, yep. do the, the two-week yeah. stuff. Like, there's money mm -hmm. to be made there. But in terms of long-term investment, there's not money to be made in cryptos right now. This is an mm -hmm. accumulation period. This is a yeah. period wherein I think we have 
hit the bottom or close to the bottom. Uh, I feel like the final leg of the sell-off was that heartbeat, heavy volume, rapid 30K to 20K plunge. We actually got down to 17.5. Kind of felt like a bottom, a bottoming type capitulation moment. And then now I feel like we're just consolidating and bouncing around the 20K level. I continue to expect that to hold. Um, mm -hmm. This is a time where you accumulate your favorite cryptos, your high quality projects. You just accumulate them. Not with the expectation you're going to make money by the end of the year, but with the expectation that in a rolling three, five year basis, you are going to make a lot of money because my mm -hmm. base case outlook again is consolidation into the end of the year. My base case for stocks, again, remember, we get that pivot by the Fed in the fourth quarter. That's going to yep. cause a U-turn in, in the markets. It's going to cause risk sentiments to come back. It's going to cause stocks to form a new bull market. Right around that same time, I think that extends around over to cryptos. But at the same time with cryptos, you have the Bitcoin halving in the first quarter of 2024, right? So normally, mm -hmm. boom cycles for crypto happen 12 months before a halving. First quarter of 24, you got the halving. First quarter of 23, history says that's when the new boom cycle starts. So if the Fed does this U-turn and inflation disintegrates, risk sentiments improve fourth quarter of 22, then for cryptos, you also have the additional catalyst in the first quarter of 23 of everyone looking forward to the Bitcoin halving in 2024. So that's kind of like a cocktail for a pretty big move higher in the crypto markets in 23. So mm -hmm. I don't think you have to wait that long, but you got to wait longer than six months. So mm -hmm. I would say this is an accumulation period before a new boom cycle gets started in 23. And that boom cycle lasts 12 months before the halving into 24, 12 mm -hmm. months after the halving into 25, probably has some runway after that. So I think that we bottomed, we consolidate, we boom for two or three years, and then this this the same rodeo happens all over again in 26. So I think you just got to be patient. I know it's an overused word, but you got to be patient <laughs> with cryptos. This is not the time to go out there and say we're going to make hundreds of percent on on a coin. No, we're going to buy our favorite coins. We're going to hunker down in them. We're going to chill out, and we're going to make money mm -hmm. in 23, 24, 25. That's, that's the situation in cryptos right now. Gotcha. Well, moving on to our fan questions, and our first one is uh, continuing the crypto conversation. Comes from Rob Norman. Uh, Luke, does it bother you that on Bitcoin down days, the volume is 3x relative to the up days? No new buyers for now, at least. Yeah, that's definitely that. There are no new buyers right now. The, the crypto markets are very weak, but that those volume numbers looked very much like the volume numbers at the 2018 bottom um, and at previous bear market bottoms. That's just what happens. There are no buyers during consolidation periods as the selling pressure mm -hmm. is still much more intense. Um, the buyers start to come into the market in droves after we start to kind of make the U-turn. And my thing is, hey, Timing that U-turn is impossible. So get in during the consolidation period, accumulate during the mm -hmm. consolidation, and just wait for the, the inevitable U-turn to come. So that's where I'm at with the crypto markets. But yes, the fact that downside volume is much heavier than upside volume does tell me we're not a month or two away from a U-turn here. We're four, five, six months away from a U-turn here. Does that mean cryptos go lower? Not necessarily. I think it means they stay flat, but it also means they're not going to all of a sudden just shoot back to 30. So patience, patience, patience. Uh, our next question comes from uh, Adam Banka. Luke, some time ago, you recommended a company called AST Space Mobile. Would you mind saying a word or two of update here or in the next episode? They seem to have quite a cool idea for themselves, and I wonder if you change your mind about the topic. BW3 satellite launch is set for August 15th. Quite big things going on, right? Right, yeah. So Blue Walker 3 is going up on uh, August 15th, or the week of August 15th. And yeah, no, I've not changed my mind in short. I think that it's 
a very, very cool company with exceptionally high upside potential. And I think that the stock looks pretty, I mean, it's a risk-seeking investment, but mm-hmm. I think the risk award makes a ton of sense ahead of that launch. Um, if their idea for directly connecting phones to, to satellite uh, powered internet does work and is validated by the Blue Walker 3 launch, that's a moment when that stock could absolutely soar. And if the operations scale in the way they expect them to over the next several years, we're talking a multi, 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 multi bagger. Um, so very, very bullish on ASD Space Mobile stock. But it's it's not a bet the farm stock. It's mm-hmm. a, okay. I got you know not my lunch money. It's my play money. Let's throw some bucks into it. That's that's what ASC is. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, then I won't be putting my lunch money into it. <laughs> uh, but and then our last play question. Money. Absolutely yeah, for money. Play money. Absolutely. Money. Well, uh, that re- that brings us to a close and great insights for our listeners and HGI investors as always. Luke, do you have any last words before we wrap today? Um, no, I, I well, I do. Sure, <laughs> I think that uh, <laughs> no, the, but, the broader. Uh, yeah, well, the, the broader theme here that we have to understand is inflation fears dominated the first half of 2022, and I fully expect mm-hmm. recession fears to dominate the second half of 2022. A recession is likely coming, not necessarily, not guaranteed, but it's likely coming. That recession mm-hmm. will likely wash out the inflation excesses, allow us to build a clean slate upon which we can embark on a new build mar- a new bull market, a new economic expansion. Very constructive about that. What that means for mm-hmm. stocks, probably a couple months of volatility, followed by a couple months of consolidation, followed by a total boom period from 2023 into the early 2030s. During that boom period, you're going to see a lot of technological transformation. You're going to see AI truly change the world in ways that we didn't see coming. You're going to see electric vehicles truly becoming ubiquity. You're going to see self-driving cars go from concept these kind of things being tested out in Phoenix and Houston to something that's on every, in every city on every road that we're all using every single day. You're going to see clean energies like hydrogen, solar, energy storage systems really start to come into their own. You're going to see the metaverse go from this what the heck is it thing to something we all <laughs> use every day, like the social media, like social media from 04 to, to 2019. So mm-hmm. I think that we are three to six months away from a really exciting period for humankind starting. And Mm -hmm. I could not be more enthused about the opportunities I'm seeing today in the market to buy the pioneers of technologies that will change the world at prices that are truly massive, massive discounts. And so Mm -hmm. we are very excited very bullish and believe that the next 10 years are going to be a very promising time for the markets right after we kill inflation. <laughs> Got it. We just need to kill inflation. And I think yeah. we're going to now. It's becoming more and more likely. The, the gun to kill inflation, so to speak, is fully mm-hmm. loaded. And okay. we got a lot of shots. We may not hit it. Like I said, there's mm-hmm. a 2% chance we don't hit it. But I think there's a 98% chance, given all the ammunition we have now, that we shoot and kill inflation. And if we do, then everything I just said is 100% true, and it's a very good time to be invested. 
<laughs> Great. Uh, well, thank you, everyone, for listening. Please, if you have any questions or comments for Luke, leave them in our comments section. We love to hear your feedback and any of the topics you'd like us to explore and cover and see always if we can answer any of your burning questions. Until then, please don't forget to like and subscribe, and we will see you next week. Bye, all.